is good. Amen. His presence is so good. Respond to the word as you worship more at the end. A chance to respond in prayer. And, um, and actually, a lot of ways we'll have a chance to respond. But um, we want to come to the word, come with our hearts open. It is the first week of Advent. Woo! That's always so fun. So every single year, uh, we come back to the Advent season and the same four subjects. Every single year, Advent is built around the same four subjects, right? And they are hope and faith and joy and peace. And then if we have a fifth Sunday, which we do, love, or you can sneak it in on Christmas Eve. But those four or five subjects, every single Advent season, the churches around the world are preaching on those four things every single year. So they must be pretty important things. If they come around in the calendar every single year, pretty important. So if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard lots of sermons on hope and faith and joy and peace and love. <laughs> but you know what? We can't talk about them too much because they're central. So today we get to start at the very beginning, right? Hope. Let's start at the very beginning. The very good place to start, hope. It is the foundation. Hope is the confident expectation of good. Hope is the confident expectation of good. That's what hope is. Confident expectation of good. We talk about these things in a row, hope and then faith and then joy, peace and love, for a reason. You can't have faith without hope. Right? Hope is, hope is the ground, the fertile ground that faith then can grow in right? You're not going to have faith to believe for things you cannot see if you don't have any hope. Hope is the starting ground for faith, right? If you think about it this way, hope is like the engine. You can have a lot of fuel. If you don't have an engine, you're not going to go anywhere. So hope provides the structure that you can put faith in, which is the fuel for the engine. But you can have a car that has an engine and is full of fuel and is going nowhere because it needs a spark. That's the joy, right? In Nehemiah, when they had this tough job, all the circumstances were against him. What did he tell the people? The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And so we want to create the structure that then we can have faith in and then have joy in it. How many of you know you can begin to believe what God says is true you can have faith for things he says is true, um, but joy is this crucial element. There are a lot of people who are like believing God and it's all in their own strength. How many of you have been there? Like it's, you're, you have, you're believing for the right thing, but you are weary and well-doing, right? The yoke is not easy, the burden is not light. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When we have joy, we understand where it all comes from. We're set right in that. So we need these things in order, is what I'm saying. So we start today with hope, and hope is a necessary foundation. If you've ever been in a circumstance in your life where things fell apart, it's three of us in the room, right? If you've ever been in a circumstance in your life where things fell apart, what's, what, where does the despair come from? The hopelessness, right? That's where the despair comes from. When you feel hopeless, that's a place of despair. And this is why if you ever go see a counselor for relationships, friendship, marriage, whatever, they will say, don't bring up all the old stuff if you fight. Why do they say that? Because there are these trigger points Right? These times where you felt despair, times where you felt like everything was lost, those things come back up in an argument and what happens immediately? The floor falls out. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Five of you are like, I know those people are like, we don't know. We don't have any idea what you're talking about. Hope is necessary. How many of you know to have a healthy relationship? You've got to have some hope. And if your hope is dependent on the circumstance or the other person, you're in trouble. 
The yoke will not be easy. The burden will not be light. For either of you, if when it comes to your finances, all your hope is in yourself, how many of you know? That can feel hopeless. If your hope is all in your boss doing the right thing, you can feel hopeless. Your job is a resource. He is your source. When your hope is in him, all of a sudden bosses can come and go. Circumstances can change. You have stayed, your hope, man, you're in the same place, like, right, you're not doing this all the time, depending on what everybody else is doing, because you've got your hope in the right place. It's in the Lord. He's the one working all things together for good, for those who love him. How are we doing? All right, so hope is the first thing. And here's the deal. The enemy will stop you at hope. This is where he's going to go for, because it's the first thing. The enemy wants to stop you at hope. The Bible says we have an adversary of our souls. We don't need him to do stupid stuff because we can do stupid stuff on our own, but we still have an adversary of our souls. And this is where he's going to try to stop you because this is first things. He's going to remind you of all those things you prayed for that haven't happened yet. Right? He's never going to remind you about all the stuff God has done. He's going to remind you of what's not done yet. And when your focus gets there, what happens? He's going to tell you about all the powerful people around you who are making bad decisions and how your life is just totally dependent on that. Um, we introduced our children this past week to Debbie Downer, <laughs> which was awesome. If you've ever seen the Debbie Downer skit, how many of you have seen it? Well, it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> um, in every situation, she's at the table, no matter what good thing is happening, she's like, yes, like we got a new dog. And everyone's, yeah, everyone's excited about it. You know, and she's like, have you ever heard of dog AIDS? Wah, wah, wah. You know what I'm saying? Like every single thing, wah, wah, wah. When you start feeling like, you're, like your life is dependent on how the economy is going, on how your boss is doing, on if you're married, how you're a husband or wife, if you feel like your life is dependent on that, you will do this your entire life. And your hope will be in everybody else doing the right thing. Right? And that's a terrible way to live. How are you doing? Now, some of you look surprised. We do this every year. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Here we go. Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. We have fled to him for refuge. We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong... Who have you fled to for refuge? Jesus. For those of us who have fled to him for refuge, we are finding ourselves in him. We hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Our anchor's in. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So if for those of you new to the faith, there was a temple. And in the temple, there's an outer court. Anybody could come in. And then there's the inner court, right, where believers could come, where those who believed, I'm using believers, really a broad term, right? But those who already believed in Jehovah God, they could come into that place. And then there was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, one priest, the high priest, went once a year. And he would offer blood right before the altar of the Lord. And that priest had to be clean from top to bottom and, right, go into the Holy of Holies. And that's where the presence of God was. When Jesus dies on the cross, what's one of the first thing, things that happens? The veil that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies is torn from the top to the bottom. God is into symbolism, like on-the-nose symbolism, right? I mean, what is he saying? My presence now is, right? Here we come, here we come, right? That's exciting torn from the top to the bottom. So Satan thinks that he is going to extinguish the light of the world. And the minute that Christ dies on the cross, what happens? 
Well, number one, he descends into hell. And he takes back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So that's a bummer for Satan. And then the other thing that happens is, oh my goodness, the presence is right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Bad strategy. Bad strategy. And then Christ, of course, rises again. He so thoroughly conquers sin that the strongest byproduct of sin, which is death, can't even hold on to him. He slips right through it. Right? And so he's saying, listen, we can have hope. And that hope is like an anchor. Why? Because Jesus has already gone there for us. Like the high priest, he has gone and offered sacrifice once and for all. And he's also gone through not just that veil, but the veil of death. And has come back through it. And this hope is an anchor of our souls. His blood speaks a better word. What is somebody else going to say when his blood says this? Right? His blood is so powerful, it conquered death. Right? Like, what circumstance do you have today? You know what I mean? Like, this is why there can be joyfulness and hope. We have this anchor of our souls. So hope, this confident expectation of good. And where does it come from? Believing in him. For those who have found refuge in him, you get to live in this hope. Now, here's the problem. Yeah, uh-oh. David says, oh What tends to happen? Circumstances come up. And what do we do? We decide we'll get back in the driver's seat. Let me just steer us to safe ground, God, and then I'll give it back over to you. Right? Every circumstance, I take my refuge in you. My hope is in you. You are working all things together for good. And listen, him working all things together for good doesn't mean it's going to end the way you think it should. Right? But he sees all ends. And he knows how things have to go. So I'm going to trust him. I'm not releasing control to him. We talked about control a few weeks ago, right? I'm not releasing control to him to get us to where I think we need to go. I'm saying even what I think needs to happen next or in the end, I'm giving you control over. All of it. That's hard for us. But if we'll take refuge in him, if we'll take refuge in him, we can live in that hope. Now, obviously, taking refuge in him, I mean, is really talking about our salvation, right? Believing in him for salvation. But how many of you know you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? You've got to keep taking your, reminding yourself, I am in Christ. My problem is in Christ. He is Lord. I am not Lord. Right? How are you doing? This week, this, some of you had a rough week this week. Annette, good to see you. Coleman family. Raise it up, yeah. Uh, so, um, big health scare, right? Like, serious. Um, and I call that. I'm like, hey, Thanksgiving, what can we do? And she's like, are you kidding? I'm hosting it. My whole family's coming here. I'm doing, like, been out of the hospital for a day. Come on. You've got some German blood in there somewhere, for sure. <laughs> Amazing, right? But difficult, you... What do you do when difficulty comes like that? Last Sunday, I saw all your girls up at the altar getting prayer for you, right? You take your refuge in him. He will work all things. Come on, right? Christine lost her dad this week, right? Did her funeral yesterday, the funeral yesterday for her family. A lot of folks in that room don't know Jesus, but Christine does. Her hope is in him. My mom lost her mom this week. Yeah? But my grandma, let me tell you what, she's in heaven right now. That woman loved the Lord. And that's why we grieve as those who right, have hope. We don't grieve as those that have no hope. Because our anchor is set. And we're not just looking at this life. We are partnering with making all things new in this life, but we know there's a life to come. Right? Where all things will be set to rights. Hebrews 6, Jesus has already accomplished it. Whatever the situation is in your life, situations you face, Jesus has already accomplished everything that needs to happen for you to keep walking up the steps he has ordered for you. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. His plans can't be thwarted. Keep our trust in him. 2 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 19. 
the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, was not yes and no, but in him, it's always been yes, all of God's promises, right? How many of you at times you'll hear sermons or listen to podcasts and you believe what they're saying is true, you just don't believe it's true for you, right? Anybody else have that problem? Three of us, the rest of you do really good. Um, like, it's not that we don't believe that what the Bible says is true, it's just sometimes we don't believe it's true for us. For some reason, we are uniquely disqualified for the thing, right? What does he say? All of God's promises, they're not yes and no to you. They're yes, always yes in Christ. That should shut some voices up in our head, right? The Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among you by us. He was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Christ, all of God's promises stand here. And to them Christ said yes, and we the church say amen. Through Christ, they're fulfilled, right? Christ says yes. And then as they're born out through us, we are the amen to his yes. Come on. We look at circumstances and think, God, where are you? Difficult circumstances come. We should be thinking, cool. I get to be another amen, right? I get to put another amen on Christ's yes. When people got saved in the New Testament, when they gave their lives to the Lord, life didn't get easier, it got harder because he sent them to do his work in hard, dark places. Life didn't get easier. But they understood they were living to be the amen to Christ, yes. So the world could see the glory of God. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Man, that's powerful. Man, that's powerful. He has set his seal upon us. And now all the promises that are yes in Christ are amen to us. And this is why it's so crucial because testimony has the power, like a prophetic power to it. Right? There's a prophetic power side to testimony that's crucial for the world to see, right? For instance, like when, um, when Lucas and Sabrina gave their testimony of how they paid off, like, was it 76,000? Crazy? Was it a year or like 18 months or? Yeah, these guys, like not too far out of college, paid off all their student loan debt, all their debt, 76,000 in 18 months. Because they set their heart to do it, they tightened their belts, they worked extra hard, I don't know, and God empowered them and gave them opportunities, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like I should see wider eyes in the house. 76,000, like, come on, that's amazing. You got people in our culture right now being like, Hi, I just can't, I signed a student loan, I can't, right? 76,000, 18 months, amazing. But what happens when they share that testimony? It doesn't matter what circumstance you're facing, when someone shares a testimony of what God's done in their life as they partnered with him, what does it do in your heart? Man, yeah, if God did that for them, right? This thing I'm facing, he totally could, right? Doesn't testimony have that kind of prophetic power to say, if God could do it then, he could do it now. This is why God commanded the Israelites, keep telling your children the stories of my deliverance. Keep telling them how I led you through the Red Sea. Keep telling them how I delivered you from Egypt. Keep telling the stories of what I have done. Because what begins to rise up? Hope that he could do it again. And then that hope turns into faith. Not just like God can do something. He will do this something. Right? Mm. Power of testimony. Here's the problem with hope. Hope is painful. Hope is painful because we haven't realized the thing we're hoping for yet, 
right? And how many of you know, as human beings, we like to rehearse disappointment. It makes us feel better inside somehow, right? Last week we talked about how we don't let ourselves feel too much joy, too much hope, right? The minute you look at it and your kid's sleeping and you're like, oh, everything's right with the world. Almost the next thought is, if anything happened to them, what would I do, right? Don't myself feel peace too long. Don't feel joy too long. Don't feel hope too long. Rehearse more disappointment. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? We don't have to live like that. What we're doing is saying, I'm rehearsing the worst, so I'm ready for it. Right? But if I believe he's ordered my steps and the things he's made me for will be accomplished through him, then I don't have to rehearse disappointment. I can actually live in hope. Doesn't mean bad circumstances won't come. I know he already knows the way through the circumstance because I'm in him and the circumstances in him if I'm in him. Unbelief is safe. It takes no risk and it generally gets what it expects. Right? Living without hope is safe. Doesn't take any risk. It's not painful because I'm not waiting for anything. I'm just sitting here saying, well, you know, I believe God. Whatever he wants to happen will happen. I'm not going to actively hope or exercise faith. He's God. I guess whatever he wants to do, he'll do. But that's never how it works in Scripture. He calls us to partner with him. He stirs up hope in us. And that hope begins to grab onto faith specifics and believe God. And God honors faith. How is Abraham saved? Not by his good works, by his faith. Come on. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Come on. God isn't going to bring you a promise that requires nothing of you. Right? As you let him stir up hope, there are desires that are deep in your heart because you are made to leave a footprint. Right? You weren't just made to like get saved and go to heaven. Or it would have just taken you there already if you're saved. <laughs> There's stuff you're left here to do. And part of it is take as many with you as you can. Right? But you're, you're meant to leave a footprint. So There's desires of your heart Sometimes those desires are deep in our heart. We give them pictures of things we've seen and then we live in disappointment, right? Because we think it's got to look like this. We feel a desire stirring and rather than letting God paint the picture of what that looks like or walking it out step by step, we put a picture to it. Well, it must look like this. And then we live in disappointment. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some people are made for deep relational connection. Well, I guess that means I'm going to get married and have lots of kids. And, right? That's the picture I've seen. Or you might be Mother Teresa, who never gets married and has kids, and does this deep, meaningful work with people who are like the least among us, and just comforts them as they die and speaks Jesus over them. You know what I mean? Like, do you see what I'm saying? He could make you in the deepest parts of you, you're made for things and we can put pictures to them then live in disappointment because the picture is not happening. Our faith is, God, I see this picture, now make it happen. Instead of saying, Father, what are you doing? How can I join you in it? Are you with me? And then we live in this disappointment. There are things you're deeply made for. Promises even that you hold deeply that you might need to let him like destroy the picture you have so he can actually give you the picture of what he wants from that promise. Do you know what I'm saying? All right, a few of you are with me. The rest of you are like, I don't know what she's talking about. Okay, so the five of you, let's go really quick and then we'll come back. We'll pick up everybody else. God isn't going to bring you a promise that requires nothing of you. You're going to know the strength of his word to you only after it's been tested and after it faces opposition. Look all through scripture. People who partner with God, he'll speak a word. David, I'm making you king. Some things are going to happen in between now and then, right? 
That word faced opposition. But David knew what God had spoken, right? Joseph has the dream of what God was going to do in his life. But it faced opposition. He was sold into slavery. He was put in jail, lied on, right? All this stuff happens over a couple of decades. He suffers while that word gets tested, but he never lost hold of the word that God had spoken. He didn't get embittered toward God. He kept saying he must be in it and kept his face turned toward him. There are things you've been made for. Deeply, you feel them, right? There are things that are very basic in you that you think everyone must have, but they don't. There are things you've been made for. And God will speak words that prompt those things, that stir up those things. And those words are going to face opposition. If you've got a picture of what it's got to look like, you'll live in disappointment. If your hope is in him, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand why I'm in this circumstance because I'm serving you and I'm holding on to what you said. And this doesn't make any sense, but I still believe you. My face is still turned toward you. Are you with me? You're going to come through it. That word is going to be tested. It's going to face opposition. When you get into agreement with the opposition, right? Now there's suspicion. Now carrying that word becomes heavy. The yoke is not easy. The burden's not light. And you can begin to let go of what he has spoken. We get into agreement with hopelessness. Now something that had no power over you has power over you. That thing that was coming against you in reality didn't have power over you. But now you've gotten into agreement with it. And now it has power. Are you with me? Whatever circumstance you're facing that opposes what God is doing and has spoken over your life, once you go over to hopelessness, you get into agreement with the circumstance and not with him. Now the circumstance has power it never had. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? I told the story a bunch of times, so I'm not going to tell the whole thing. But many of you know the story of my husband, who's amazing. He's amazing. He's brilliant. Never had a problem at work. Always was was given raises every year and awesome, awesome, awesome. Got a crazy boss, literally a sociopath. Many of you know the story, so I won't tell it all over again. But for two years, he like tormented my husband. And my husband was producing more than anybody else in his group. But I just think because he was righteous. He could not stand him. I mean, and just did all kinds of creepy, strange, awful things. My husband never lost sleep one night. Not one night. We talk about the circumstance, it concerned him, but he's like, God knows, God knows, God knows. And it would get worse and worse and worse and worse. And we kept thinking, God, you've got to remove this man, right? That's how we're praying. God had a whole different plan, whole different plan. But my husband never got into agreement with hopelessness, right? He never gave, this man did not have power over his life. His job was a resource, not his source. You, you with me? And so this guy never got power over his life because he, he was like, my hope is in Jesus. The minute I put my hope in this guy, turning around or doing better by me, now I've given that situation power it never had. Many of you know the conclusion of the story. After a couple of years, and this guy was terrible, he gets a call for an interview, kind of out of the blue, just an application he put in. Um, he didn't even know if this company had jobs that could pay what he was earning. Turns out they do. They interviewed him, and he had just read a bunch of stuff on the very things they needed to, they asked him about. The very things. So what he does, I don't even understand it. He's, he's an IT. In a level that I don't, he tells me about his day, but I'm not gonna listen. I don't notice that. He's teaching kids today. I don't, like after the first sentence or two, I really don't know what he's talking about. I'm listening, you know what I'm saying, but I don't know. So for his job, what they do is say, show us. Like, this happens, show us. And you've got to do the math and the work and stuff. I mean, just math. I don't even remember. <laughs> and he had just heard about how to solve some of these problems. So he shows them these workarounds and things that he would do. He just read about it randomly. Every single thing they asked him. Yeah, 
So to this day, he's been there for a few years now, to this day, he is the standard for interviews. People will say when they do an interview, how did he compare to Mitch? He's the standard for the interviews. So his, the guy who hired him offered him 20% more than he was making. After two years of this guy who just tormented him, looked like he might lose his job. God brings him a job, 20% more, and my husband is, I'm telling you, he's a crazy man. He just believes God for stuff. And that, there's a term I just learned, because you know I'm working on it. My millennial fam. I mean, there's a term uh, for basketball people who are really good. Baller. I just learned. Is that right? No. It's appropriate to use too, because I wasn't sure. Okay. <laughs> Didn't know. He's a baller, man. Uh, so he could have been like, oh, thank God it's a job. I'll just take whatever. But God spoke to him and said, counter, give him a counter offer. So my husband negotiated the dude up who'd already given, come on. Now, if his hope had become about I got his hope had become the new guy who's going to save him from the situation, right? If his hope had gone either direction, this guy's got to turn around or this has got to happen, he would have never negotiated. He'd have been powerless to negotiate because of the fear. I'm just saying, if you can stand on what God has said is true, he is working all things together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purposes. He's in the situation. I am not hopeless because I'm imagining him in the situation right? I'm not going to give this situation power. I'm in agreement with him. Now, does that mean that he had to bring my husband a job that paid crazy amounts more? No. But we already said, God, if he wants to sell our house, if we need to live in a tent in a warm state, not this state, we can't, not in Michigan, but, right? We'll do, we trust you. If it means we come down financially, we trust you. It didn't have to be this. Our hope was in him. You see what I'm saying? That's why my husband slept like a baby and he sleeps like a baby. He puts his head in that pillow, he's out. He did not have one sleepless night. We didn't have one argument about finances. But what if, what if, what? No, we're not gonna live in the what if. Jesus, we trust you. Are you, you're with me? Okay, thanks, Frank. All right, I need to stop there because we're gonna, I need to stop there. Let me just, let me just say this, because I really want to take you to Matthew 6. But we're not going to have time to go there. So let me just say this. If we don't stay God conscious, if we don't stay conscious of God, who does the impossible, we will reduce every outcome in every situation to what we can produce or have produced in our own strength. That's what will happen. That's what will happen. And so I don't know the circumstances. Worship team calling up. I know the circumstances in this room. But all of us are living in a fallen world, so we've all got them. Some of them are financial. Some of them are relational. Some of them are family members. Some of them are husbands and wives, kids, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, friends, bosses, right? There's lots of relationships that can have difficulty. If you give an inch, if you give an inch to the idea that my life will be better when this person makes different decisions. I make more money. I'll have peace when, if you've given an inch to that, I'm just telling you, you need to take that to Jesus right now, today, and say, I have put my faith in other things. I recognize it. I'm putting my faith back in you. I'm not waiting for this person to make these decisions. I'm not waiting for the, for the raise. I'm not waiting for this situation, my body to get fixed. I'm not waiting for any of these things. My hope is in you. And what you want to accomplish today, you can accomplish today. I can live in peace today. I'm not waiting for the circumstance to resolve itself. I can live in peace today. I can accomplish the things you have for me today. I surrender all the pictures of what it had to look like. And I just say, Father, what's the next thing? What can I partner with you in? Because whatever he gives you, it's not gonna cause you to look at any circumstance around you, any person around you for that thing to be fulfilled. It's gonna cause you to look to him. And so I wanna encourage you as we take this first step in hope in the Advent season, let's surrender all of our circumstances to him 
If there's areas where we have fear and anxiety, control, all these things, our hope is in the wrong thing. So today we're going to rally. And we're going to say, all my hope is in you. All of my hope is in you. I surrender fresh to you. Every circumstance of my life, surrender to you. You are the anchor of my soul. You are the steadiness in my life. Not the circumstances, not the people, not the money. You steady my life. And that's why you can be in a terrible situation and his joy can be your strength because your hope is in him. Would you stand? We need to get ready. We need to be ready, not just for ourselves. But we've been praying for the great awakening in this country. We've been praying for God to move to another great awakening. We need to be ready for it. We need to be ready. Our lives need to be aligned with him and we're ready for harvest. Amen? Amen. So we're going to respond to God. Prayer team, if you come on up, there'll be folks to pray with you on either side and also in back. Folks that can pray with you. We also believe every believer in the house has the kingdom without measure. So you can pray with any believer near you. But let's take some time to respond to God. Maybe you've come in the house with needs. Maybe the word has stirred some things up you want to bring to the Lord. You might choose to respond to him in worship. Well, let's take some time to respond to the word. Amen. Oh 
kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen oh yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen come on say yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen oh yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen let heaven come let heaven come let heaven come on earth on earth as it is in heaven let heaven come to earth as it is in heaven let heaven come to earth as it is in heaven let heaven come to earth as it is in heaven let heaven oh come to earth come on would you lift up your voice let heaven come come on would you press into him deeper and deeper let heaven come oh we believe for more let heaven come oh we want to see your glory let heaven come let heaven come oh let heaven oh let it come jesus oh let it come we believe heaven is on earth heaven is on earth we believe in jesus you paid the price we believe it you paid the price so we believe it oh heaven is here heaven is here oh for yours for yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen oh yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen oh for yours is the kingdom yours yours is the power forever
with us this morning, Jesus. say, speak to me, God. Speak to me, Jesus. What are you doing? What are you saying? Where are you leading me, Father? Give me a word for, for the day that just is full of hope, that just encourages my spirit, God. Thank you, God. What are you saying? What are you doing? Yo 
is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all. No death could not hold. Death could not hold you. The veil torn before you. The silence of us, our sin and grave. The heavens they're rolling. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. For you have, you have no rival. You have no evil. Now and forever, God, you reign. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above Jesus Christ, oh my King, what a wonderful name it is, nothing can stand against, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus, what a powerful name it is, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful thing it is, nothing can stand against. What a powerful thing it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful thing it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful thing it is, the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, we wait on you, Jesus, powerful name, what a powerful name, what a powerful name, listen, death, and death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, silence the bones of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. For you have, for you have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you But yours is the glory, yours is the name above all. No death could not hold, death could not hold you. Fail to before you silence the bow of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. For you have no rival, you have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. For yours is the kingdom, for yours is the glory, yours is the name of Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank 
you, Jesus. Would you lift up your voice? Would you give him praise? Come on. Come on, would you give him praise? Oh, you're worthy, Lord. Oh, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. pressing into him. He's good. He's good. And we have time. Keep pressing into him. He's worthy. Amen. He's worthy. You give a light. You are love. You bring a light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. So we 
Thank you for your presence, Lord. <laughs> You're good. In this atmosphere, it's easier to hear him, especially if maybe you struggle with just hearing God. Let your heart be quiet for a minute. He might speak a word to you. He might give you a word for somebody else. But let's just take a second, a few more seconds here. of your goodness, God. We're convinced of your goodness. You're good. Your love endures forever. You're faithful. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're above all authority, all circumstance. Go out from this place, let your heart rest in him. Let him stir up hope. Keep your ear tuned. He is speaking all the time. He is speaking all the time. James tells us in chapter one, if you want wisdom, ask God. He will tell you. Zechariah 9.12, and it says that uh, return to your stronghold, you prisoners of hope. There's never any place you could ever go that you don't have hope for. And then it says, uh, even today I declare to you, I will restore double to you. There's a, God's heart is so for us that when we face uh, you know, any trials or anything like that, there's a biblical way of thinking that's so profound that we would never be scared or like afraid, but instead be excited for the things that we're going to face because He's so for us that he's going to restore double that when we face loss, even. So we're, we're prisoners of hope. We can't, we can't go anywhere without it. That's Bill Johnson. Bye, Andrew. Bye. <laughs> so good. I turned around a second ago and said, Andrew, do you have a word? He's like, that's a good word. That's a good word. Prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. So good. We're going to pray together. Before you go, would you encourage somebody as you go? If you feel like God gave you a word for someone, this is a good house to practice in. You know, and practice on each other, hearing God, encouraging each other with his word. Thank you, Father. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and all the glory, <laughs> forever. Amen. 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 God bless you.